I have a message today that I'd like to call a mature view. A mature view. I want to investigate today just a, a very brief look at where we are in human history and where we should be going. This is the great celebration in the scriptures of, uh, about the men of Issachar, the tribe of Issachar. In David's time, tribe of Issachar had, was what is a pivotal moment in history. Saul, the king, was dead. Uh, Israel had no king, but men of Issachar understood God had previously anointed David and said that David should be the next king. And the Bible says the men of Issachar understood the times and they knew what needed to be done. They perceived everybody else was going, what should we do? Oh, the Philistines are going to attack us. We'd have no king. Where are we going? And the men of Issachar said, wait, 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 wait. God told us about this. That man's supposed to be king. And so it says they gathered all the warriors together. They surrounded David and they started marching towards Jerusalem. And he says they set their face like flint and they, they went up everywhere they went. People said, what are you doing? He said, we're going to go make this guy king because God said that he's going to be king. You have any questions? They said, no, thank you. And they joined the parade. So when David got to Jerusalem, he was crowned king without any fuss. Why? Because the men of Issachar understood the time, the moment we're in. And they understood what we're supposed to be doing with this moment. Now, I want to try and do a little bit of that today. What's the time we're in? What are we supposed to be doing with our season? Of all the billions of galaxies and trillions of stars and I don't know how many planets, we are the only one that God visited. We've been visited, we've been watched by the God who created everything. And his eye has been on us. He's been involved in our history. So I wanted to take you just through a very, very embarrassingly brief overview of human history. Here we go. God creates this, this earth that we know, and then he creates mankind on the earth, right? And we're made in God's image. And there's a garden up there. You'll see the blue dot will appear any moment. Okay. So mankind's created, and we're given dominion over the earth, and God says, now go and rule this planet in my name. And God comes down every evening, the cool of the evening, and he's talking with people. By the way, if you can't read that, don't worry. You can pick up the PDF on the website afterwards. You don't have to. <laughs> we sin. Mankind sins. We, we lose access to our relationship with God. We lose this opportunity to be in the garden and be at rest, in fruitful rest. We lose our godly natures and we lose the right to be in the garden and mankind is now kicked out of the garden and we enter a brand new dispensation. Now, uh, once we were children of God, now we're enemies of God. And the earth is cursed on behalf of man because sin has been allowed to take dominion over this planet. So what God does, he institutes a second dispensation, a sort of another season of time, which lasted about 1,500 years, where he sets a temporary solution up so that people can be covered, their sin can be covered, they can approach God, that there can be some mechanism of connection with God. God also wanted to create a nation through which he would bring the Messiah. So he wanted to separate himself for himself, a nation that held to a different standard so that out of that nation he could bring the Messiah of all mankind. Now, this temporary solution happens to be right at the same place as uh, we very, very down the road from where mankind is created. 
And God creates this temporary solution right there. And he says, I'm going to create. Uh, so he gives the law, obviously, to maintain sort of morality. And he gives a standard of sacrifice. But those sacrifices are endlessly repeated. This endless repetition of new sacrifices. And they never take away sins. They just cover over your sins so that you can approach God. And so this is the dispensation people live in. The endless cycle of coming again to produce the same religious ceremony to, to cover over your sins so that you could offer to God some sort of a sense of desire and hunger. And God sets up, he says, I'm going to make that place the house of prayer for all nations. And then after about 1,500 years of that, God says, okay, I'm done with that. I'm going to, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I brought them out of Egypt and I took them through the that whole place, and I gave them the law. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be a completely new covenant. And this covenant is instituted by God coming in human likeness. So God arrives in human likeness, and Jesus comes, and he's born, and he lives a sinless life, and he dies, and he's resurrected, and he creates a perfect salvation opportunity for mankind. And now, uh, as in the Old Testament, only the, uh, the very holy place in the temple where God's presence lived. Now, the Bible says, uh, because of the finished work of the cross and anybody who believes the blood of Jesus is applied to your life and you become the most holy place. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now God takes up residence inside of you and you don't just have to travel to Jerusalem to go and be with the living God. You can be with the living God everywhere and any time that you are. You've been cleansed and the Holy Spirit has filled you and you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit and we are delivered from the slavery to sin. We bought out from under the law. We're called to be fruitful through an abiding relationship with Jesus. That's where we are right now. So much better than the temporary solution. So much better. Then the Bible says Jesus is coming again. And this time, he's not coming back as a, as a humble servant and uh, without much majesty. He had no majesty, the Bible says in Isaiah 53 says, or beauty to attract us to him. No, this time he's coming back in full glory and full majesty. And the whole world together is going to see him and every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess that you're the Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's not coming back to be whipped and ostracized and beaten. He's coming back crowned the King of Kings to take care of business, right? So... Uh, the Bible says at, at the splendor of his coming, he will destroy the evil one. He's not even going to have to fight the evil one. He's just going to show up. Just his showing up is going to destroy the devil. Just his just showing up in the room will do away with all the injustice and brokenness and sin and, and wickedness of the world. Just Jesus coming back and sort that all out. Yeah. Crowned the conquering king, ready to set things right, eager to be with his bride. So Thessalonians 4 says, therefore encourage one another with these words. He says, you'll not all die. I tell you a mystery. You're not all going to die. There is going to be a generation where some people are not going to die. In the twinkling of an eye, they're going to be captured, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so the end will come. He says, therefore encourage one another. So we live in this real beautiful place between the old and the new. 
We're, we're in the, the, so let me just talk about the old covenant and the new covenant and the transition that happened, because I know you know this, but it's just, let's just do this quickly. The, the transition between the old and the new, the dispensation of the law given to Israel until Jesus came, the set of rules that applied during this time. There was a specific season in God's economy that required particular obedience and practice from those who wanted to draw near to God. That season lasted for about 1,500 years as people tried their best to fulfill the law. No one got it right. Then Jesus came and he changed everything. Jesus was the only one who could balance. At the end of that era, he came to close out and to fulfill the law and to introduce and institute a new covenant. Only Jesus could have pulled that off. He superseded the old by bringing in the new. Now, let's just run through this very briefly. Are you still with me? Yeah. Okay. So under the old covenant, there was a constant appeasement of God's wrath because you kept sinning and you had to con con constantly deal with his wrath. Under the new, there was a constant communion or abandonment. We just remembered it. We hold up wafer and we say, by this body and this blood, we remember what Jesus did for us. And we reinforce in our own life that beautiful finished work of the cross. There was the endless covering of sins under the old and a once and for all cleansing of sin under the new. There were, we were very far from God's presence under the old, but now we're, we are the Holy of Holies, the place where he dwells. Only a few special ones were anointed in the old covenant. Now his spirit is poured out on all flesh, anybody who believes. There we were under the tutelage of the law. Now we are led by the Holy Spirit way, way better. He said, "Go." He said, keep yourselves away from all impurity under the old, but in the new, he said, go out into all the world and preach this gospel. We were servants in God's house under the old. We're sons of God's household in the new. We used to have weak and sinful high priests representing us. Now we have a perfect eternal high priest. We used to ask based on our own merit and on the good works that we had done. Now we come asking in Jesus' name based on the good work and the merit of Jesus Christ. We used to pray and worship in Jerusalem. Now we pray and worship in spirit and in truth. And that's just a few. What a significant change of gears. What a deliberate change of seasons from an old covenant to a new covenant. And so we're living now in this place of the new covenant but it's what we call the now and the not yet. We live in the now and the not yet. Jesus changed the dispensation again entirely. We have so many more freedoms and so much more authority and all believers are offered God's spirit to drink. And you all called and offered the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Yet with all this new power and authority, all this intimacy and connection, we are still aware that they are enemies. We fight a battle against spiritual forces. We ourselves are still susceptible to temptation. We are surrounded by sin-induced frailty. We live in a world, for the most part, which is an open rebellion to God. That's the now we're living in. We catch glimpses of what is to come. We experience now a greater freedom and reality than anyone ever before us. But we still hear whispers of a promise to come. There is still more. 
We live in the now and the not yet. The kingdom of God has manifested already, but his kingdom will manifest in fullness when he comes back a second time. Amen? So Corinthians, Paul is trying to deal with this now and not yet tension. This reality that there is so much for us to explore. It's like on Christmas Day, you know, you, you just get exuberant and somebody dumped 50 gifts for a child and the child opens the first gift and then gets bored and leaves all the others behind. Friends, God, Jesus has purchased so much for you, you'd spend 10 lifetimes trying to get to it all. There are gifts available for you. There's so much more. And sometimes I see the church, they open one gift and they go, oh, that was so amazing. I think I'm just going to go play with this one. I go, yeah, you could do that. Or we could open some more. You ungrateful person. I'm, he gave it to me already. It's not like I stole someone else's gift. There's a pile of gifts left here for me. All got my name on it. Got your name on it. It's not being ungrateful. It's being a child. Corinthians 13. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Can I just say, for the longest time, many people preached, this was the scripture that taught that tongues no longer exist in the church today. And honestly, for the most part, that message was preached for thousands of years. But now, 99% of all theologians, when they read that, they go, that is just embarrassingly bad interpretation of that verse. That's just the truth. It's just not the way to read this verse. For now, we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, I put away the childish things behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. How many of you have seen Jesus face to face? Yeah, me no. I love him with all my heart. Paul says now it's like looking through a glass darkly. Then I'm going to see him face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully. How many of you know everything? I used to think I did, and then I got married. No, I'm just joking. My wife explained to me, honey, you don't know some things. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. You can't find anywhere in the New Testament when... when Paul begins to talk about spiritual gifts, and he, he always ties it back to love. You can't divorce the two. You can't separate this rail of love, this need for us to love, and let love be the defining attribute of the church. Now, on top of that, he says, there's all these gifts available for you. So let's talk about the now and the not yet. Now, in part prophecies, like a poor reflection, you can bring prophetic words and sometimes they can really encourage and minister to people and give them hope. But they're in part, they should be assessed. You should test all of them. Don't swallow any prophecy whole, the Bible says. 
test them all, hold on to the good ones. Then I'm going to be face to face in communion with Jesus. I've said this before many times, but if you come to me in heaven and you go, Greg, I've got a prophetic word for you. I'm just going to turn your face to face Jesus. Like that. This, I thank you for your faithfulness, but I'm just going to be here with him. I've got a tongue and an interpretation. I, I appreciate it, but Jesus, it's right here. When we get there, those things are not going to be necessary anymore. Unknown tongues as the Spirit enables is what we do now, but all tongues and communication is what we're going to do then. Now I know just a little part, then I'm going to know fully, even as I'm fully known, is what the Scripture says. Now I wage war against spiritual foes, then Jesus wins the war, destroys all the enemies. Now we have gifts of healing, then no more healing is going to be necessary. Amen? Now I live in a fallen world full of temptations, then I'm going to live with Jesus on a new, sinless earth. Here we have to encourage and comfort one another and help one another. And there, the Bible says, he wipes every tear from your eye. Now I have pain and struggle. Then, the Bible says, sorrow and sighing will flee away. Now I trust God for miracle power. Then, I'm going to live in his presence. Miracles are normal. Nothing is impossible. Now I can get tired and discouraged and exhausted. Then my mortal is going to get swallowed up with immortality. There's a now peace and there's a not yet peace. We live in the tension of the now and the not yet. There's so much more than believers used to have in the old covenant. So much more. Not yet as much as we're going to have. Hebrews 6 is an interesting little verse. It says, it's impossible for those who've once been enlightened, who've tasted of the heavenly gift, who've shared of the Holy Spirit, who have tasted of the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age. Sometimes the Holy Spirit lets you taste some of the power of the coming age. That's very cool. Isn't that interesting? They've tasted of the powers of the coming age. Now, I don't live in the power of the coming age, but I've tasted some. There have been some moments in my life where the Lord showed up in my life and gave me a gift of faith. And I just knew that this was going to happen. And, and, and we've seen God do some astounding things. Hebrews 2 says, You've put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put in all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not under him. He's talking about Jesus. God the Father has left nothing that's not in subjection under Jesus. But now, we do not yet see all things put under him. God has already done that for Jesus, but we don't see that manifesting right now. So the now and the then scriptures speak to this idea that we can taste of the powers of the coming age, that some of what God has promised that we don't yet see, we need to lean in and, and shoot for. We're called to grow up in our faith, to grow in our knowledge of God, to grow in our love, to grow in grace. We've not yet mastered all of these. And this world corrupted by sin and inhabited by people who are happy to be in rebellion, 
uh, that's a challenge. And we have to still learn how to discern the Holy Spirit's voice and leading. And we have to take hold of the freedoms and the authority that is ours. We're still learning to work out this salvation, right? We're still figuring this out. We're still reaching forward. We're still straining to go, Lord, could you teach me this? I, I really believe this, but I'm not seeing it yet in my life. How then should we live? There's a lot of theories right now in the church about what the church should be doing. One of the most prevalent is, listen, the best thing you can do is, because you're never going to work this all out, the best thing you can do is just step back and sit back. And if God wants, gets your number and he wants you to do something, he'll come knock on your door. But you don't, you dare think that you anything. The best thing you can do is just be quiet and wait. And then God will show up when he needs to. And while I believe with all my heart that God is sovereign, I believe that in his sovereign will, he has given it to the church to have authority on the earth, to desire things. In his sovereign will, he has handed over that authority to the church. Because he said to his disciples, if you forgive somebody their sins, then they will be forgiven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. If two of you on earth agree about anything, it'll be done for you by my Father. That doesn't sound like God saying, no, don't you dare think you anything. He's going, stretch out a little. Exercise a little. Lean forward. Press for a little more. Dare to ask. How about this? When they said, Jesus, how should we pray? He said, you will be heard because of your shameless audacity. I didn't write that. People think I wrote that and I never wrote that. Jesus said that to his disciples when they asked him, how should we pray? He said, he told them this, our father, he said, this is how you should pray. Our father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And, and that prayer is written in the, in the Greek. It's written in the, in, the, in the mood of command. Father, that your kingdom come. It's not hoping, it's not wishing, it's not asking, it's commanding. What an astounding thing. Jesus, how should we pray? He said, this is how you should pray. Oh, I, I don't think so. That's what Jesus said. And then he, he because he answered the prayer, and then he told them a parable. There's a guy, and he goes, and, and, and he says, he's heard because of his shameless audacity. And then he went on. In town, there was a certain widow. And she was never getting justice from the judge, so she just bugged him. And he said, this one's going to wear me out. And so he said, like, yeah, get your justice. And Jesus said, Look, listen to that unjust judge. How much more, your father who is just and good and kind, how much more will he work on behalf of those who keep coming? And just sit back. That's not what Jesus taught. Well, I asked once. Ask again. Aren't you the guy I just told to go away five minutes ago? Yep. <laughs> Jesus ended Luke 11. And so I say, ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking. You will find. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open for you. And um, so I guess you can hear, I'm not one of those, just, just sit back and if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. God's going to make it happen. Yeah, God is going to make it happen. 
but he wants to co-labor with you. Yeah, yeah. Some years ago, I, I, I said, Lord, I really would like to trust you. I want to stretch a little in words of knowledge because I've been having words of knowledge for 40 years now. And I said, Lord, I'd like to stretch a little. So I'm going to trust you for a little bit more detail. And so the Lord began to give me names. I said, Lord, I don't know what the name of the person, I want the name and the surname. Right? And so I go, ah. So we go to a church and I go, the Lord gives me a name and a sermon and he gives me a prophetic word for him. There's a large church, about a couple of thousand people. So I go, there's a guy, your name is whatever. William Fisher. Where are you? No, no one answers. Everyone's staring at me. So I go, oh, Lord, I think I must have missed it. Now. I feel like the Lord said, no, no. So I go, all right, William Fisher. So I go, okay, I must have missed it. And I go, the Lord says, no, prophesy the word. Okay, and that's a little, they're going to think I'm. So I said, okay, William's not here, but I'm going to just give this word anyway. And so I prophesy and carry on. Everyone's looking at me now a little bit like. <laughs> Three months ago, this couple comes here in the church. This is another nation. Come visit. Oh, hi. And, and she's acting like I know her. And I go, uh, do I know you? She goes, oh, yeah, you, you prophesied over us. I go, uh, when, when was this? Oh, you remember that William Fisher word? Well, yeah, that's my husband. Oh, we've, we've been holding on that year for, we've been holding on that word for about four years now. Man, it's been life-giving. What did you say? I've started stretching and trusting God because the Bible says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So I've started stretching and trusting God for more. That's what told the story. Lord, give me the, the guy's name and his birthday. And he's got, a, he's got a pain in his back and call him up because he's a representative. And I, and I, the guy said, you've only got 30 minutes. The, the guy and the elder, would, I don't know, and he's leading the church. We're sitting right in front of me. And I go, there's a guy here. This is your name and this is your birthday and you have back pain. Where are you? And there's about three seconds of just awkward in the church because they don't do this in the church. And he says, yeah, that's me. I said, would you stand? And I asked this elder to go, and suddenly this God breaks out in the healing. Now, all I'm saying, all I'm saying is, I'm starting to see more of that the more I hunger and press in for it than I used to see when I was sitting back. And it's not because God sovereignly has decided to do this more. It's that in his sovereignty, he said, I want you to press in. And when I did what he told me to do, I'm seeing more. Does it make sense? So what is a mature view about what we should be doing right now in this season? I want to take you to Philippians 3. We'll end there. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus. So I want you to consider 
and remember the privilege of what it is to be found in Christ. Not having a righteousness that comes through my own effort on the basis of the law, but that which comes to me by faith in Christ Jesus. What a profound gift. Paul says, I used to have every reason to be able to believe that I was going to be one of the people who made heaven. He said, I was circumcised on the right day. I was born on the tribe of God's favorite, you know, the favored son tribe. I was advancing above many of my own age. I was in the most religious sect and I was the top of the pile. He said, if anybody was going to get into heaven on the basis of their own works, it was me. And I considered that rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all of that. And I'm clinging to this one thing. Everything else I was tempted to trust in, lean on, put in my positive column, I considered rubbish. I've thrown all of that aside so that I can cling to Jesus. And can I just say, so should you. Because you don't get into heaven. You don't make the grade on the basis of what you do. You make it on the basis of what he did and you believed in him. Amen. And while I am called to live well, once I've believed in Jesus, obviously I must live up to what I've already attained. I must work hard, but my faith does not rest in, in my own efforts, but in Jesus. Paul goes on. He said, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ, yes, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship with the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Can I just say, Jesus took hold of you for more than just getting you to heaven. Oh, he wants you in heaven. Oh, he loves you to be part of his bride. But Jesus took hold of you for more than just getting you to heaven. Jesus took hold of you for some profound destiny. And Paul said, now that I've received Jesus, now that I'm standing on that platform of grace and faith, not of my own works, he says, now I strain, now I strive, now I press. Because I want to grab hold of everything that Jesus has in his heart for me. I want to walk in all the dream of God for my life. He says, I haven't yet attained it. Verse 12, not that I've attained all of this or already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. The, the idea, the imagery that Paul is using here is, is this idea of somebody who's running in the race to win the prize. I'm going to be the victor at the games. And there is somebody, uh, there's a what's called the Brabus, the, the guy who was the judge or the, 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 the king of the games who would award the, the, the winner, the, the ribbon. The word properly means to compete or to, to make perfect. Like, uh, I, I, I won't be wanting. Paul's... He says, I haven't yet attained. I haven't yet finished my race. I haven't yet walked in all that God has called me to do. So I'm straining. I'm bristling. I'm working hard because I want to win the race. It's not about my salvation. Your salvation is taken care of in Jesus Christ. But on top of that salvation, there is hunger. There is desire. There is something that you need to reach for. And people get this confused. People go, oh, but the Bible says you've been given completeness in Christ. 
Why are you pressing for more? He can't give you more of himself than you already have. Absolutely. When it comes to your salvation, that's absolutely true. When it comes to you running the race that God's marked out for you, like an Olympic athlete, do you want to tell me the photograph of the 100-meter sprint at the end? Those Olympic athletes look like they're casual. <laughs> hey, every muscle in that guy's highly tuned body is strained for one goal. I want to break the tape ahead. I want to attain everything Jesus got for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider my yet, myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. If you're running a race to win the prize, it is not helpful for you to stop and look back and start having a conversation about other runners. Oh, look at them. Oh, he fell. That's, oh, who put that rubbish in the way? Somebody, I need a, you go, well, the race is finished. Paul says, I forget what's behind. I got to keep my eye steadily on the prize. I'm straining every muscle and nerve so that I can press through. I don't want my attention diverted even for a moment because I have a, a race to run and I have something to attain and they're going to be noises and somebody, there's going to be opinions of other people and some other people are going to do weird stuff and some people are going to show their weakness and there's going to be rubble in the way and, and some people are going to make mistakes and there's going to be amazing things that other champions are doing but I cannot let them stop me from running my race. So I forget what is behind and I strain forwards and I, I, I do my utmost to do all that Jesus called me to do. And Paul says, everybody who's mature, this is the way they think. Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on. All of us who are mature, take this view. Some people have messed up on your race. Can I just say, just turn your eyes back on Jesus. Dust yourself off. Start running again. Forget what's behind. Strain towards what is ahead. And press on. Sometimes other people do foolish things, unwise things, hurtful things to you. I get it. Forget what's behind. Strain towards what's ahead. Press on. Sometimes somebody dashed your dreams. 
things that you hope for and you're working towards and somebody came in and they cut in on you and they've cut it down and it's a, it's a mess. Forget what's behind. Strain forwards. Press on. Because everybody is mature. Everybody's mature, all said. They take this view. And if you think differently, let God explain that to you. We live in the now and the not yet. Can I just say, I think I can pretty much confidently guarantee there's about 50 gifts set aside for you that lie unopened and what God has for you. He's not finished with you. He's not a set a limit on you. He's not set a limit on how much love you can have or how much peace you could walk in. He's not set a limit on what you, how, how close you, to him you can get. None of that is his limit. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on.